Welcome to Season 4 of the Basics of Live Conversations. I think that you're right. I think that there's an allusion here to the sufferings of Jesus, and with that, right, to fully partake in, in belief in Jesus um, involves perhaps even to the point of shedding our own blood. Um, so, so clearly there's, um, you know, the idea of, yeah, full-bodied belief. Um, I like how, uh, it's actually Rick Warren I heard who said this, but I, I've used it so many times. He says, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? As John says, he says it means to trust in, partake in, rely on, and cling to Jesus. Today on the Basics of Life Conversations, my guest is Pastor Nick Cady. Nick is the pastor of an amazing church in Longmont, Colorado, called Whitefields Church. And prior to becoming the pastor of Whitefields, Nick and his wife served on the mission field in Hungary for 10 years. They're an amazing couple, they have an amazing church, and I am super stoked to have Pastor Nick on the program with me today. And the hard saying of Jesus that Nick is going to be tackling is John chapter 6, verses 53 through 58. So turn there in your Bibles as we begin my conversation with Pastor Nick Cady. Well, welcome to the program, Nick. Good to be here, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a blessing, brother. Um, just really appreciate you and your heart and your ministry. And uh, hey, what's the weather like in Colorado today? It's getting cold. So we we're having our first cold snap, which in Colorado uh, means a lot of things. One of them is you have to clear out your sprinklers because they'll freeze yes. and, uh, and they blow up in your house and stuff. So that's been a thing here that everybody's been doing. And it's supposed to snow on Thursday. So two days from today. So what's the temperature? Today. It's about 40 degrees, 40, 40 degrees outside. 40 degrees. And you went running this morning. How cold was it when you went running? It was about that. So it's been holding steady around 40, but that's that's actually a pretty good temperature to run at. Okay. Well, God bless you um, as you're out there in the cold running along. Well, hey, I want to thank you for um, being on the program and being brave enough to tackle one of these hard sayings of Jesus. And you're taking on this passage in John chapter 6. And um, why don't you just start right by reading the passage for us, and then we'll jump into it, all right? Okay, so John 6, starting in verse 53, going down to verse 58. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever." All right. Now, this is one of those passages that it actually tells us the people in Jesus' day were scratching their heads about and wondering, like, hey, they, they said this is a hard saying. I mean, they didn't get it. So um, what is this about, Nick, to talk to us? Well, first of all, let me just explain a little bit about why they would have been so 
worried about what he was saying. And it says that some people even stopped following him at this point. Um, the reason is because it very clearly states in the law of Moses that you must not eat blood, not to mention the fact that the idea of cannibalism, I mean, was completely anathema to the Jews. It was even anathema to the pagans at that time. But amongst the pagans, there were practices of human sacrifice and the idea of feasting on these sacrifices. I mean, this would have been just a completely non-kosher and and scandalous statement that he made. But you can see that Jesus is doing this for a reason. Uh, he's He's wanting to kind of get their attention by saying something which forces them to tune in, if you will, right? So if they've been kind of tuning out and what he's saying, suddenly now they're paying attention. So are you saying that Jesus is kind of using a little bit of shock and awe here? Absolutely. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. He did that sometimes, didn't he? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So to make sense of this passage uh, is, I mean, we use one of the tools that we always use when we're studying the Bible, which is to read it in its immediate context. And, and I would say, two things. To understand this, you have to understand the immediate context. And then you also have to understand the context, the broader context of the purpose and goal of the gospel of John as a whole. So the immediate context comes earlier in the passage there in chapter six. It's all part of the same narrative, right? Because it says, if you go to verse 41, the Jews grumbled about him because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now, clearly there's some allusions here to the manna, which the children of Israel ate in the wilderness through which God sustained them during their time in the wilderness, the bread from heaven. But earlier in the passage, Jesus had said this, one of his seven I am statements. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, this is this is where we understand, but I want to keep going because there's a few more important passages right here in this section, starting in verse 35 down to verse 40. He says, uh, you have seen me and do not believe. He goes on to say this in verse 40. It is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So to make this super simple, Jesus is using this metaphor of eating his flesh and drinking his blood it's kind of a surprising or striking metaphor for believing in him. So those who believe in him benefit from his death and resurrection on their behalf. Um, yeah, to make this even more clear, um, here's one thing that a lot of people misunder- misinterpret this passage as. They'll misinterpret this passage as being about the Lord's Supper, right? Mm-hmm. So they'll say that clearly... Uh, Jesus is talking about the Lord's Supper. The problems with that are actually, there's at least a couple. One of them is that Jesus at this point had not instituted the practice of the Lord's Supper. So it wouldn't have made any sense for him to be saying, you must take part in the Lord's Supper in order to be saved. Secondly, we know that it's not by taking part in the Lord's Supper that we are saved. Um, the the other part here that's just really important to understand is that um, I would put it this way. This is not speaking of the Lord's Supper, but the Lord's Supper is clearly pointing back to this phrase. Mm, that's good. So if, if we understand it in that way, then it makes sense. So later on when Jesus gives them and he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. They're going to remember this thing that Jesus said 
here in John chapter 6, well, it's recorded for us in John chapter 6. Um, you know, people who are maybe critical in, an, in a negative sense of being critical about this text uh, tend to come at this and they'll say that this is what we call an anachronism. And anachronism is when you, it'd be like if I was writing a book about Abraham Lincoln and I talked about him driving a Mercedes and using an iPhone, right? So you're, you're trying to put something in the past that people at that time could not and would not have used and understood. So people would come at this from, again, a critical perspective. And in, I mean that in a negative sense, um, because there's a thing called textual criticism. But what I mean is people who are critical of the Bible and who maybe are skeptical, they would say that this is an anachronism in the sense that Jesus is making an allusion to the Lord's Supper. But that must just mean that John or whoever wrote this book added that in later. And Jesus didn't really say this. But John kind of put it in there later as an allusion to the Lord's Supper. But um, I don't believe that's the case at all. I think that if you read it in context, it's very clear that when Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, it's a metaphor for believing in him. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because this is what believing means. It means that you appropriate something mm. personally you take it in for yourself. It's not something outside of you anymore. Now it's something that is so intimate as consuming uh, the person of Jesus, if you will. So mm. I, I think that really sums it up. And I think that it's an important passage and, and obviously one that's misunderstood, but um, just reading the context really helps us understand what it's about. Yeah. And so this whole idea of him being the bread of life, so the idea of he, he's the one that, that satisfies the, the hunger inside of us, um, but that hunger is satisfied when we totally partake of him in embracing him and surrendering to him. So, so this is kind of the idea that he's putting forth here is that this is a it's a pretty radical commitment it goes beyond just simply um you know oh i believe in jesus a nod to god if you will <laughs> yeah yeah it goes beyond a nod to god and and i think that's one of the things when you say that um you know jesus was very clear i mean he's always talking about hey if you want to follow me you got to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me and you know the guy who comes and says um you know jesus is like hey foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests and and you know i don't even put but i don't have anywhere to lay my head and you know there's the guy who says i'll follow you but let me first go and bury my father and jesus was always you know kind of calling people to that radical commitment and in a lot of ways that's kind of i think missed today wouldn't you say in the church world oh yeah yeah absolutely i think that 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 easy believism you know has um has definitely taken root right the whole idea just give a nod to god i think that we've tried to make it um we've tried to lower the bar in some cases where um, we see with Jesus, it's interesting that people were scandalized by this thing he said, but notice that he doesn't actually dial it back. He doesn't say, no, 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 you're misunderstanding me. Here's what I really mean. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, he kind of just leaves it there for them to kind of ponder and to talk about. And 
In some ways, this is something just to kind of ponder and think about. It seemed like Jesus wasn't, I don't, I don't want, I'm going to say this the wrong way, but I don't want to say that he wasn't too concerned about people discontinuing to follow him. He, it was more a sense of he expected it. You know, mm-hmm. he was expecting, it's like, you know, hey, broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to life. And he knew it was going to be that way. And so he would put out these statements that, that kind of divided the crowd, if you would, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing that strikes me is that I think that Jesus was playing the long game, if you will. Like, I think that he was okay with having people kind of peel off after he says something like this, uh, knowing that they're going to go and they're going to discuss this. Yeah. And and I think that my my guess would be that many of these people did come back around later on after they had seen the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so Nick, what can we learn from that idea that you just mentioned that Jesus um, was kind of playing the long game and he, he wasn't you know so concerned about people you know, peeling off and having to go ponder, um, you know, what can we learn as leaders and Christians about that? I think that we often, you know, try to do uh, so much at one time. I I was uh, reading a book recently and the guy was talking about this form of art that's done uh, right now a lot in Santa Fe, New Mexico, in which wax is used, but it's used in different layers and different colors. And the idea was that, um, we don't have to accomplish everything at one time. We can have uh, a long game, so to say, knowing that, uh, let's say as pastors or leaders, knowing that we don't have to accomplish everything in every moment, right? So our sermon doesn't have to uh, do everything we hope to do in people's lives just through one message or through one conversation. We can have a conversation, let it settle, let it rest, then have another conversation. And I think that that's an important way to lead. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really good thing for us as Christians to think about as it relates to you know, the whole idea of evangelism. And I think evangelism is really the best evangelism. Evangelism is relational evangelism, where you know we're looking to build relationships with somebody where we can have a conversation, where we can throw something out, where you know we can answer a question or even say, you know what, hey, I, I don't know the answer to that right now, but give me a couple days and I'll get back with you and you know we can talk about that. But um, sometimes I think as believers we can be way too quick to want to try to, you know, we want to convert somebody or want to convince them to our idea. But Jesus oftentimes would throw things out like this that would just make people ponder and think and and they'd have to kind of go and you know have conversation and then come back and sometimes people would come back and go or like we see the disciples hey what did you mean by that you know and and that's i think what we need to we need to learn from like not be so um into the the quick answers yeah and if you even look into how um adults learn so there's been a whole study it's called andragogy right it's the way that adults learn things and what they found is that adults learn things more um, by being presented with ideas, going away, processing those ideas, and coming back and making them their own, mm. right? And so I think that a lot of times we tend to monologue a lot. And if we're working with adults, which most of us are in churches, 
then um, we would be wise to take into consideration some of these studies. And I think that you can see it with Jesus. He provokes conversations, and through those conversations, people are forced to ponder, and then they make it their own rather than just being, uh, I guess, monologued at. Mm -hmm. So here in this passage, Jesus is really giving us um, another one of those ideas that there's a cost to following after him. There's a cost to being his disciple. Um, he's giving us this idea that, you know, this is more than just a, an intellectual belief, but it's, it's really, a, a, for lack of a better term, it's like a full body experience, you know, that mm. I'm, I'm fully committed, I'm fully engaged, um, which meant a lot for them in that day because they, there was gonna be a cost that would be associated with this. And then do you, do you think, let me see, make sure I'm, what you said earlier, and I'm, I'm tying this together, that the illusion here, or the mention, I'll put it that way, the mention of blood is an illusion to his suffering that's coming, that they maybe didn't get now, but they're going to get later in the idea that, okay, um, for me to follow after him is probably going to also involve suffering for me as well. Mm -hmm. um, Augustine, let me see what you, th you think about this statement. Augustine said this, that um, this, this statement is therefore a figure bidding us communicate in the sufferings of our Lord and secretly and profitably treasure in our hearts the fact that his flesh was crucified and pierced for us. Mm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that um, going back or to that phrase, you know, I'm the bread of life, verse 35 in chapter 6 there. The idea of the bread of life, he says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then he kind of delves more into that same metaphor. I think that you're right. I think that there's an allusion here to the sufferings of Jesus, and with that, right, to fully partake in in belief in Jesus um, involves perhaps even to the point of shedding our own blood. Um, so, so clearly there's, um, you know, the idea of, yeah, full bodied belief. Um, yeah. I like how uh, it's actually Rick Warren. I heard who said this, but I, I've used it so many times. He says, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? As John says, he says, it means to trust in partake in rely on, and cling to Jesus. Mm. I think that really summarizes it, uh, including the partaking in. Yeah, that's good. And, and I think, you know, like so many of these hard sayings of Jesus, I think that, that the reason why it can somewhat be hard for us in our culture is we don't really realize the cost that people in the first century in the Jewish world and people today who are in the Middle East, um, you know, th th there's a big cost for them. There's a, a great division. There's a great, um, you know, even, you know, their lives can be threatened um, in following Christ. And that's something that we don't experience so much, uh, at least, although, although we're getting closer <laughs> living yeah. here in the States. But um, so real quick, Nick, how would you sum this up for, you know, somebody who's following Jesus today, um, put this, you know, passage into our modern world. What is it, what is it saying? What does it mean for me to follow Christ? 
What it means is that Jesus is saying that we must believe in him, and believing doesn't just mean intellectual assent or giving a nod to God, if you will. Believing means uh, fully participating in Christ, right? Bringing him into every part of your life in the as as intimately as eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And then later on, when they took communion, when Jesus instituted communion, he was, in a sense, alluding back to this phrase that he had said yeah. or this saying he had said. And that helped them understand that taking part in communion is sharing in Christ. Another important passage that we could tie into this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul talks about how the pagan idols in the Greek world, to take part in a pagan feast was considered coming to the table and participating in mm -hmm. idolatry. And Paul says, in the same way, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are sharing in Christ. We are, uh, he is becoming, you know, it's a sense of we are unified with our brothers and sisters in the Lord and we are unified with the Lord. Um, or at least it's a celebration of the fact that that has already taken place because of what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection. So in summary, this is what it means to believe is to fully partake in Christ. That's good. I love it. Hey, Nick, we love to finish up these uh, conversations with what we call rapid fire questions. And these are just some short one minute answers to kind of get an idea of what's going through your mind and who you're learning from and that type of thing. You up for that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So here's first one. Best book that you've read in the last six months and why? Um, the book I'm reading right now, I really like. It's called Imagining the Kingdom, and it's by James K.A. Smith. It's part of a series of books that he did, which started with uh, a book called Desiring the Kingdom. And uh, Desiring the Kingdom is, is what he calls part of his cultural liturgies series. And essentially, Desiring the Kingdom is his whole point about how everything in society is shaping us. And so we need to be aware of it, right? We're shaped by um, the mall. We're shaped by the school. Everything is designed to make us into a particular kind of person. And so that, that's kind of his thought in that first book. Imagining the kingdom, then he comes into asking the question, what does it look like for us to be intentional about shaping our lives in the, in the way that causes us to uh, grow in the knowledge of Jesus, to grow in relationship with him. And so I, I've really enjoyed uh, all, really everything I've read from James K. Smith. He's a big Augustinian. Um, he's focused a lot on Augustine and um, and that is part of his studies, which uh, resonates with me. I've, I've done a lot of study on Augustine as well. So I love that kind of Augustinian approach, which is all about how you are what you love in the sense, right? What defines mm -hmm. a person most is what they love. Sin is an example of a disordered love. And so what we seek to do is to sh have our loves shaped by seeing that greatest love of Jesus and then having that form our hearts. Mm, that's good. That sounds great. Um, okay, second question. Who are you currently learning from? Well, that would be a good one there. James K. Smith, I'm learning a lot from him. Um, recently finished a master's program in which I learned a lot from Augustine, from Luther, and from um, my, my uh, 
professor who really helped me with my dissertation. And his name is Tony Lane. If you ever Google his name, mm-hmm. he's a church historian. And um, he's written some great, great books, very popular books as well on church history. And uh, Tony Lane has helped me a lot. All right. Um, what are you most excited about when you think of the Big C Church? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited that I, I think that I think that when we face difficulties in the world, for me that kind of gets me excited. I might sound um, masochistic or something, but I get a little bit excited because I can't help but think that this is these are the times when we shine mm-hmm. as a church. These are the times when the difference. Uh, between the world and the church really is pronounced. And so I, I, it's also a time of winnowing in some yeah. cases for the church and sifting, but that's that's okay, right? That's pruning yeah. and that leads to more fruit. And so I think that that's happening and that can be painful. But on the other hand, I think that if the church is willing to take hold of this cultural moment that we're in right now, there's a huge opportunity for us Amen. to shine the light of Jesus and we're, we're seeing that here locally, and I'm I'm excited about it. That's cool. Amen. Um, so what are you most concerned about when it relates to the Big C Church? Sectarianism and um, tribalism, in the sense that right now, um, and, and I would add that in with discipleship, in the sense that right now, more than ever before, there's so much media uh, available that many of the members of our churches— are not necessarily being discipled by their mm. churches. They're being discipled by radio and TV personalities, by podcasts and things like that. And it is kind of like a a la carte thing. Like you can pick and choose who you want to listen to. And generally people choose people who are already saying what they already think. Yeah, it's true. And if somebody says something that goes contrary to what you already think, there can be this tendency to say, you know, to write you off and say, well, I don't need any more of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's dangerous because just like that passage we just talked about, that's what those people did. Right. They were scandalized by something and they went away before letting that message sink in and dig in and really find out what it was about and be transformed by it. And so that that worries me and concerns me. All right. And then last question. Um, what's on your heart personally, on your heart and mind as we move into 2022? Yeah, what's on my heart and mind is that we need to continue this uh, purposeful discipleship. And, and maybe that comes from a lot of my stuff on uh, that I've been reading about with James K. Smith and uh, Augustine as well. And it's just this idea that Discipleship is going to take place uh, passively or actively, and we need to to be intentional about it. Um, we are being shaped constantly by different things, and uh, we would be wise as followers of Jesus to put some thought into how we want to be shaped and what we want to be shaped by. Good. That's well said. And as the church, that's our mandate is to go into the world and make disciples, not converts. So Nick, thanks so much for uh, being on the program today. Thanks for weighing in. Did a great job with uh, that John 6 passage. And I think that uh, hopefully brought some great clarity into some people's minds and hearts. God bless you and your ministry. And uh, thanks for being my friend. Thanks, Rob. It was a pleasure. All right, man.
Thank you for listening to Season 4 of the Basics of Life Conversations with Rob Salvato. This season has been on the hard sayings of Jesus, and we have a lot more content coming your way. If you'd like more Christ-centered content, you can go to goodlion.io at the Good Lion Podcast Network. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to have you share it with a friend, give us a rating, or leave us a review. Stay tuned for more from the Basics of Life Conversations.